When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buddy. Hey, dude. How are oh you? God. How crazy was last week with Brian Austin Green's episode? <laughs> oh, man, I mean, did we? You knew we were gonna get some shit about it, you know. And when I mean shit, I mean good shit. I mean, you knew it was gonna <laughs> blow up. But it was just crazy with everything that happened in the week because, you know, we started the week. The episode came out on Monday. Everyone talks about Brian Austin Green, and then later in the week. Megan Fox drops this Instagram bomb, you know, mm-hmm. with Machine Gun Kelly becoming, you know, pretty much what we already knew, Instagram official. And then Brian just kind of comes right back at her and it's like, oof. And then the, our story just kept going. It was good for it us. Was cra- and then, yeah, his little <laughs> response. I mean, it was just like, and everyone kept picking it up. And you know, I got to be honest. So I'm going to drop a name that probably people on the outside don't know about, but like it's a really big honor on the inside like inside hollywood but john pascarella who is a huge like gossip columnist and he he's one of the like eps over at the maury show he's got this like um this email that he sends off and this is like inside hollywood not everyone knows about this but he sends out this email and he picked up our story and it's an honor in hollywood when you have someone like him pick up your story like he saw it he read it he he sent it out to all his people and when he sends something out, it becomes an even bigger story. So Huge. it was really cool. Yeah, it was it's really cool. cool to see him pick up one of our stories. It's cool because essentially he's one of our colleagues, you know. But it's just a guy who's been around for a long time and has a lot of. Uh, he knows a lot of people, and then when he responds to us and hit us up, is like, "This is gold." We're like. Yes, <laughs> yes, and so it just that, kept going and going. It's so, it's so funny because most people will be like, oh, it's cool to get on E.T. or to get on TMZ. I'm like, no, 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 no. To have John send out uh, an email blast with your name in it and with your story is worth way more than getting on one of the websites. I'm yeah. telling you, it's a huge deal, guys. So. It's so bizarre because we were like, is this like, at first we heard about this thing, you know, and it's so weird because people don't know about this kind of gossip email that this guy sends out because there's a lot of people in the industry, but it's like, you can't just get on the email list. It's very tough. Like this guy, he, he, he's just been around forever and just knows everyone. He knows all the publicists and you know, everyone goes to him for and he, the real he's, news. He's super trusted. And anyway, it was it was an honor. I just want to tell you guys that because it was really cool. Um, little behind the scenes curtain because, you know, we love giving you little details behind the scenes. But, um, you know, what I'm also excited about today's guest, Ben Whittacombe. Uh, You know, for people may not recognize the name, we, we love having celebs on. But we also love having people that work, have worked with the celebs, that cover the celebs, that can give us an other angle you know not just the celebrity angle but like what are these people like in real life yeah we've had i think some of our best interviews have been non-celebs don't you agree i i just find it fascinating you know we're i don't know dex i feel like at the end they were just trying to do the best show possible and yes celebrities are good but we like sometimes to do a little bit 
of the people that create the stories. And mm-hmm. that's what Ben does. And it's just, I found, you know, I find his career interesting, just like I think a lot of people find our career sort of interesting. Yep. And, and he's uh, done a little bit of everything. I mean, done we'll done get to it. a little him, bit of but... everything. But it's just, again, we always try to say, we try to humanize Hollywood and try to reveal the fourth wall. And he's an excellent person of doing that. Because sometimes, you, re- you know, we reach out to a lot of celebrities to come on. Sometimes we're lucky, sometimes we're not. And sometimes their publicist says, how much are you going to pay us? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we did happened. get one of those this last week, didn't we? We did. I was just like, are you fucking serious? Like, you want to be paid to be interviewed? Like, we thought we were doing you a favor, and then you asked for a lot of money. So we'll see if we get this person. So we if, said no. We said when we start getting paid, we'll let you know. Yeah, exactly. You know what's funny? I say we out this person who, you know. No, all, we've, no. No, maybe another episode. Another episode, not today. Yeah, but maybe, another maybe eventually we uh, reveal them in well, case they don't come on. And the only reason I'm saying no is because there's a chance we might actually get the person on. Yes. Yeah. So let's let's not out them yet. Well, maybe we'll ask them when they come on the show. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Who are the assholes that pay to talk to you? But I uh, no, I will hopefully hopefully get this person on the show. And if they don't, but then we'll I just... think I think we should ask the person on the show. Be like. Do you normally ask like podcasts for money? Okay, whatever. We'll it's a get weird to conversation it, but... to have. Before we get to today's guest, we run the easiest contest out there. That's what it's called, easy contest out there. All you got to do is leave a review on our, on our about our podcast on iTunes or wherever you kind of listen to Stitcher, whatever the hell you do, and uh, all you got to do is leave a review. And, and we pick both, one, we, we read pick, it. That's yeah. it. And uh, courtesy from our friends from Autograph City Prime Type Signatures, we send you an autograph. Uh, and we've sent out some pretty awesome stuff from Matt Damon to Jane McCarthy. Paris I mean, the Hilton, list, Hilton. It's just, it's just a bunch of random things. We have a bunch of names in a hat. We pick out the name. We send you an autograph. All you got to do is leave a review. Dex, yep. read us today's winner's review, whatever the fuck you got. Okay, so the the winner's name is not really a name. It just says RNL67. Um, so... Maybe they just started up this account so they could write one in or something. But RL, RNL67 wrote, Bingeworthy is the title. I love this podcast. What a delicious, delightful discovery. And so many ep- episodes to unravel. It's bingeworthy. I'm looking forward to many, many happy hours together. And double emoji hearts. Very cool. Very All right, cool. So well, thank does- you. RNL67 win. RNL, DM me your address because you're about to get an autograph from, and I'm just searching a name to see who it's going to be, and it's going to be Coco. Coco. Ice Team Coco. Coco. I love Coco. You love Coco. I love Coco. Did I tell you I went to their wedding? Did you? No way. Yeah, I was at their wedding. It was awesome. Wow. How was that? It was so fun, and I I need to show you, I mean, I'm sure you can Google it, but you need to see a picture of like... Coco's wedding dress. It was insane. And by wedding dress, I mean like there Their wasn't much of. of a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny. It's me and my wife posing with them. Oh, actually, I think it was just Coco in that photo. And it was like you can't you can't look at either of my wife. They're, it's impossible because you are so focused on how much cleavage is hanging out of the wedding dress. That's insane. How uh, how big was that wedding? Was it huge? It was. It was a good size. It was in L.A. It was at um, where was that at again? At the what is it? Not the standard. What is that? Oh, the W. The W, w? Hotel, right in uh-huh. Hollywood. And uh, yeah, like Snoop Dogg was there and Flava Flav. And it was oh, and that's then cool. me. I totally yeah. did not fit in. 
Yeah. I, I should I should reach out to her. We should have her on the podcast. Should be we fun. should get her on. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Okay. I'm I'm gonna reach out to her. I uh, um, you know it's so funny. One time I was driving through Hollywood Hills, like you know, just checking out these homes, and I think I drove by their home because I'm pretty sure I saw her and him outside their home. I was like, oh, that's Ice Tea and Coco. I was just like, but they're through. they're primarily in in uh, Jersey. This was years Jersey. ago. Okay. Okay. This was years ago, but I'm pretty sure it was them. I I remember seeing their. They, I'm pretty sure that I'm confident they live in Jersey. However, because he films here. But I remember they did do MTV Cribs, and for mm-hmm. some reason, I just drove by this random house, and I was like, wait, that, I think I just drove by Ice Teen Coco, um, which was <laughs> kind of cool. She's lovely. I, I'm a huge fan of her. She um, just gets it. And, you know, I've met her a bunch of times. She's very sweet, and she gets it, and she's he, nice, and she's He's cool. awesome, too. I mean, I know him through her. But yeah. like I went to, I they picked me up at my hotel and is in New York, and we went out to dinner one night. And he is like the mayor of New York. Like yeah, Ice T walks through the streets, and everyone's yelling his name. Really, like wonderful, wonderful people. It's he's he's the man. Are you, were you intimidated by him? Are you scared of him? I, no, I'm not not scared. I because I've only heard nice things uh, from well, him. You, you know, it's so funny. I feel like we grew up when like you were scared of rappers. Like that's the rappers were scary. It was gangster rap, and then you see the yeah. rappers now are like, "Oh, I'm supposed to be scared of you." Like you're just <laughs> everyone's lil this, lil that, and they're just kind of they're just little. Like there's More no one. They're not scary how, guys. How have you not found Takashi Six Nine? He's been Dude. everywhere in New York, yeah, running but, through the streets of Harlem. How have you not found him yet? Just because you you just stop. You just said it because he's been running through the streets of Harlem. I'm not going there. Okay, that's I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to the Brooklyn, the Bronx, the parts where he hangs out and is kind of shown off. If you find Takashi. I feel like it's a scary thing. You're putting yourself at risk because he does of, have a lot of big bodyguards around you know him at what? all times. Well, here's the joke. I again, I've been doing this for a while. I kind of know the bodyguards by now. I've never seen the bodyguards he's with, so I don't really think they're intimidating. I think they'd more be annoying because they seem like guys who want to be famous as well. They're mm-hmm. all over him when he walks. I mean, I understand that's why he pays them is to have the protection. But based on social media and the videos I see. The security is like so up on him, and they want to be like seen with him. They want to be seen like the cool guy. They want attention, just uh, like true. he wants attention. And to me, that's sometimes the worst of it, you know, because when you do with the professional bodyguards, they're usually pretty cool. Like to be honest with you, the coolest bodyguards for me, from my perspective, are always Secret Service. You could just tell them why you're there. They don't. They're like, okay, cool. Like they're just nice guys. Like they get it. They're they're very professional. These guys, based on what I've seen. They want to be in the shot and showing that they're big dudes. And I'm like, okay, I get it. All right. You know, it's just corny yeah. to me. Yeah. Oh, by the way, um, for people that are listening and want to hear more of us, we're going to be on Melissa, River, Melissa Rivers' podcast. I'm oh. just throwing it out there if people want to hear and they want to tune in. I don't know when it's going to be released, but we're going to be recording that. So Yeah, that'll be cool. Check we got it some out. Other, we got some other cool stuff. We got a big guest uh, next episode. Should be pretty Ugh. big. Dude, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but you're gonna, no, you're gonna. I, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I would not hate name. to release the name before because in this industry, I mean, you could have a, a guest booked and then the next day they drop out for some reason. You know what I mean? So I don't want to say it too soon, but we got a big guest coming in next week. You're, it's going to be a really, really good episode. Um, I'm excited to have this person. They should be interesting. They're fun. And uh, they're, they're all right, let's get to Ben. Ben's ben sitting here like twiddling his thumbs waiting for us. Sorry, Ben. We'll get to you. Let's introduce him. <laughs> <laughs> so tell him about Ben. OK, what so ben, about ben. Yeah. So Ben, I mean, he I think he's pretty well known in the, the gossip industry, wouldn't you say? Uh, I would yeah, say so. he's pretty much wrote so, for every single outlet. 
Yeah, so listen, he's an editor, he's a writer, he's an author, he's done it all in the celebrity gossip world, and now he's got a brand new book entitled Gate Crasher, How I Helped the Rich Become Famous and Ruin the World. So Ben Whittacombe, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks for being here. How did you get started in the entertainment news world? Thanks, guys. Well, I moved to New York City in 1998 from Sydney, Australia. Uh, and I moved with my partner at the time who was kind of a fashion guy and he had the idea that we should start an online fashion gossip column, which absolutely nobody else was doing. And it was the wild west of the internet. And I was literally selling hot dogs on the street on the Upper West Side of Manhattan during the day because I didn't know anyone in New York City and, and, uh, you know, my papers were not entirely in order to be clear, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But at night, we were gatecrashing these uh, fabulous fashion parties uh, because we were sort of, you know, we knew how to talk the talk and, and managed to get in. And we wrote this very cheeky gossip column called Chic Happens online. And it became kind of a hit. And, you know, finally, I sorted out my green card. And uh, I was uh, uh, I had a sort of apprentice role at Page Six, which is the big gossip column here in New York City. Uh, and then the uh, other paper, the Daily News, gave me my own column, which I called Gate Crasher in homage to uh, my gate crashing days, and that's also the title of my book. That's awesome. So during that time when you're gate crashing and you're going in these parties, and I'm assuming you're writing about the celebs in there, were you hated by celebs, loved by celebs? Like, what was the uh, what was the temperature that you were getting from them? So the number one biggest surprise I learned about being a gossip column is how welcome you are in any environment. Because I don't know whether it's a New York, L.A. thing, that these places just attract narcissist monsters, probably is. But uh, when people find out you're a gossip columnist, it's so easy to get the gossip. People can't shut up, especially if they're at a party with some booze flowing and they'll gossip about themselves. Like, they just want publicity. So, uh, actually, I was very surprised how embraced gossip reporters were in New York. That's so funny. So, how would you define a gate? The book's called Gate Crasher. You know, uh, it, well, it's called A Gate Crasher, How I Helped the Rich Become Famous and Ruin the World. How would you define a gate crasher, and what is the key to it? <laughs> well, I think the attitude is that you're not invited, right? That you're, you're elbowing your way into these inner circles, uh, and which is what I, what I literally did. Uh, and, um, you know, the subtext, how I became, or how I helped the rich become famous and ruin the world is I wanted to acknowledge that I'm not pointing the finger at the, Oh, look at those terrible celebrities. Look at those terrible rich people because the media and therefore me totally complicit in the whole, uh, can of worms, right? Because we're, we're profiting from it. We, we want the spectacle to be as big as possible. We want there to be drama. And so the media is a total partner in crime for all of this stuff. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, there's nothing better than a big celebrity drama of the day because everyone benefits except maybe the celebrity. Yeah, that, that is true. So what, looking back, I mean, I, I can remember the big first big story I broke. I'm sure Adam can. What was the first big story that you broke? Well, uh, I had a number of stories over the years. In my tabloid column, I broke the Kim Kardashian sex tape. Oh, so, just a little story. <laughs> I mean, there were things at the time which, you know, were a big story of the day, like, oh, Nicole Kidman's pregnant, I broke that, whatnot. But probably the story that people care about is the Kim Kardashian sex tape. How did you break that? Well, you know, at the time, um, so this was a couple of years after the Paris sex tape. So <clears throat> there was a roadmap for this stuff. And as you remember, Kim was Paris's friend and assistant. So that was not, I think, coincidental. 
Um, at, at the time, these third-party adult video um, uh, businesses would get a hold of a celebrity sex tape, and they had a total playlist. They would call the gossip columns, or they would call TMZ, and they would let the reporters know that this tape existed. And that was a way to gin up interest and gin up the price. And to be clear, if a celebrity sex tape is being sold at a dirty video store or the online equivalent, um, the celebrities are getting paid for that because it is absolutely illegal to release a sex tape without the consent of the people in it. Um, and celebrities like to lie about that. I mean, Paris for years lied that she, she claimed the tape, tape was stolen from her. That was not true. She was getting paid for that. Um, <clears throat> and indeed, uh, Kim and Ray J uh, signed on, uh, ultimately. Um, and that was because the uh, video company called me first. And so I was able to break the story. Ray J at the time was the biggest celebrity. Um, and Kim was the, was the other party. Uh, but um, she initially denied the tape existed. And then she came around. Uh, and admitted that it was, and then of course the the the, uh, the tape was released. Uh, and I believe that uh, her her team tried to spin it that the money she got from it was like punitive damages, but uh, I'm not sure that is entirely <laughs> the case. <laughs> She's got a beautiful house thanks to that tape. Uh, no, I was going to say, was that when you were with Team Z? I am trying. To, I'm racking my brain to remember if that was a Team Z story or not a Team Z story. It was 2007 New York Daily News. Okay, I was a Team Z. All right, so before, so. You, I'm trying to remember. Tell me your timeline of uh, where you've worked and when you worked there, because I know that obviously we worked together at TMZ a long time ago. But where else have you worked? So I uh, I did my own column from '98 to 2003 online, uh, overlapping with the New York City tabloid gossip. So I did page six around 2000. Was it the news? Maybe from 2002, I think through 2008, uh, and then I came out. Uh, for a brief stint as the managing editor of TMZ in Los Angeles, uh, which I, I didn't love as much because what I thought was fun about uh, being a New York gossip was that you were out every night and you got to meet everyone. And there was a great variety of events, you know, because in New York it might be a fashion event one night. It might be a book launch or Broadway or a film premiere or even a finance event. Yep. There was just a lot going and, you know, the TMZ model, very successful, nothing, nothing against it, but the TMZ model is you sort of stay in the mothership uh, and, you know, you, you, you sort of mine the Internet for tips and, and, and do it that way. So that was sort of less interesting to me. Um, so I came back to New York 2010 and uh, I wrote for The New York Times for a decade. So how, you know, as a celebrity gossip columnist, I, I, do you want to still do we still call it gossip? I mean, is it just like celebrity news? I don't I don't know. But but it's crazy. Do you work with the PR companies? Do they hate you? What's the relationship with these PR companies with you? Definitely love hate. Um, I would say the L.A. PR companies, which were more, um, you know, connected to the stars, like they hate us. Like they, they, they don't, they're, they're much harder to work with. Um, they, they have much, um, you know, Pat Kingsley, really uh, legendary uh, Hollywood publicist, really, uh, uh, I would say she modeled a new style of very aggressive PR that she wanted 100% positive coverage all the time. And she controlled so many celebrities that you wanted to talk to. If you stepped on her toe for one client, like she blocked you out for all of them. And that really became the model in Hollywood. Uh, in New York City, I think because it's, it, it is, there is diversity um, of, of industry, uh, the publicists are much more willing to work with you. And more than one publicist has told me that the rule in their business is that the clients come and go, but the relationship with the journalists, especially if they're a gossip columnist, is, is the primary relationship. So it's easier to hold trade in New York than I think it is in L.A. I think L.A. is really an industry town. And if you are locked out in L.A., I think you're, you're in big trouble. 
in a way that's not such an issue in New York because there's so much else going on. That's actually what you just said was really interesting because I feel like in L.A. it's 100 percent about the relationship with the celeb. But you're so right. You're so right. Like stars come and go like that. That's you yeah. know, it's rare that you get a Brad Pitt or Julia Roberts that's going to be, you know, here for decades. You get a lot of these like I want to say reality stars that are big for a moment and then gone in by the end of the, the year. So really interesting that uh, they, they value your relationship more than the celeb, I think. That's really smart. You, you know what's interesting, too, I noticed these PR companies uh, lately is that they charge the celebrity. Now, usually how the PR companies work with the celebrities, they go through monthly retainers, you know, and it could vary in money. But what I realized is a lot of the celebrities are actually paying less for the publicist. So, for example, they might pay $5,000 a month for the publicist. And then there are the, the PR companies able to say, hey, we had this name, that name. But then when they have their, the brands they work with, they sort of overcharge those brands. So then they're going to say, okay, oh, you want to work with us? Okay, that's $10,000 a month. So the celebrities get cheap deals in the brands and the people that they know they could overcharge. Those are the ones that kind of overpay and keep those PR companies afloat. I'm, I'm curious. So do you get a lot of invites to big parties for the sole reason of they want you to come, they want you to cover their party, find some gossip, go back and write about it just so you say, oh, at the, the latest blah, blah, blah event, I saw Paris Hilton stumble down the stairs. Well, that is either that or my magnetic personality. <laughs> and, I, and I strongly suspect it's not my magnetic personality. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I say in the book, you're, you're, you're one step up from the waiter in, in this job. I mean, you, you're invited, but you, you're there to work. And I think that uh, having been in the business so long, I think that is a point that many people forget. Um, and they let their egos get a little bit big. And they think that they're invited for themselves, which is a huge mistake for journalists. I mean, you're there to represent your outlet. Um, and in, you know, in the modern social media age, I think the, the individual and the outlet has merged. But if you represent the New I mean, I went to every party in New York. I, was, I wrote the weekly social column for the New York Times. I mean, every door in New York was open to me. And I was never under any illusion that they were inviting me. That they were inviting the New York Times and it was my privilege to, to represent them. I felt the same way about TMZ. It was a privilege to represent TMZ. Um, and it wasn't Ben Whittacombe. It was the brand. Yeah. So, you know, when you go to these parties, do you want to kind of make yourself seen or do you just kind of be like a fly on the wall? What's your what's your approach to when you're at these parties? What's your strategy? It again, it depends on your, your, your personality. Uh, I think different people have different approaches. I tried to be humble and I have been at many parties where colonists who were getting paid more than me, their egos wouldn't permit them to approach a star because that, that, that would seem to put them in a supplicant position and maybe the star doesn't want to talk to them and they were, they were embarrassed to do that. Those people are terrible journalists. So uh, I, I would always go up to the star um, and uh, identify myself as a reporter. I mean, these are all press events where I'm invited as, as a working journalist. This is not you know, approaching Sarah Jessica Parker when she's with her kids in, in the park. You know? um, so there's, there's a level of expectation that that's appropriate. Um, and you know, it's a mix of doing that and you, you get your quote and then you hang back by the bar and you just watch and you get the observational stuff. And obviously, the more people have to drink, the more things there are to observe. I want to know what it's like going to like the Met Gala. Obviously, that is the, the biggest party of the year that everyone talks about, the most stars under one roof at the same time. Now, is that fun for you? Or are you just like, oh, God, I got to go to the Met Gala and there's going to, you know, I, I have to work the whole night. Like, is it, what's it like? 
I, I would say it's definitely more fun the younger you are, and the more time, the more times you're having the, opportunity, the experience for the first time is, is the best. Like going to the Oscars was great the first time. Now it's like ah, oh, yeah. Um, but the Met Gala, likewise, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's I, I you, it's a fourteen-hour day minimum, um, and again, you're working. You're not there to have fun, uh, so it's very rewarding. But um, and it's not working in a coal mine. Let's be honest. So there, there is some fun and glamour, but it, it, it's it's hard work. But wait, no, 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 no. I got. I want to know what's like inside. Like, is this fun? Like, are people going crazy? Like, I've never been to a Met Gala. I will probably never go to a Met Gala. So I need to live vicariously through you. Well, so you know, there's a real um, edge of fear in the air because, uh, as you know, Hollywood is run by fear, and so is the New York fashion community. So everyone's on their toes. It's definitely Anna's party. You do not cross Anna. Um, you, I don't know if you were aware, but there was a sort of big storm in a teacup two years ago when, because, you know, the celebrities are all about selfies these days. Yeah. Uh, and there was a bunch of them taking, like, big stars taking selfies in the bathroom smoking. I remember that. Uh, and huge to do about that because, um, you know, you're not allowed to smoke because there's, there were these priceless artworks. And also the media is very tightly controlled because Anna doesn't want any of that going out. Um, I, if I have a story in my book, um, Rupert Murdoch's ex-wife, Wendy Deng, uh, was a co-chair a couple of years ago. There was, it was a China theme of the Met Gala. And her publicist contacted me to do a profile on her for one of the papers here in town, the New York Observer, for the front page. And I was thrilled. I was like, yeah, I'll talk to Wendy Deng. This is great. Uh, it was just after her divorce from Rupert. So she was, she was really in the news. And uh, I, I can't look. I can't say for sure that Anna Winter was shot that down. But let's just say, as soon as I called the Met to get some background information of, that I was doing this profile of Wendy as the co-chair, uh, Wendy stopped cooperating immediately. And her, she pitched it like it was her idea. So uh, I, I'm mean, again. I, I'm not. I can't point the finger definitively, but I strongly suspect that Anna and the, Anna Winter doesn't throw a party for the Anna Winter Costume Institute, which is literally what it's called. So you can write about Wendy Day. So the <laughs> meet, meet is very tightly. That's so funny. You got, hey, she works hard for that press, right? She's got to make sure it's all in her name. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of coming home to roost for her right now. She's in a bit of trouble here in New York. What's going on with her right now? Well, you know, there's not a lot of racial diversity at Condé Nast. Oh, um, sure, yeah. And, uh, Anna, you know, <clears throat> all the rumors are true. Anna really is as snooty and as frosty as everyone says she is. You know, she she's an ice queen. She rules with an iron grip. She rules through fear. And, you know, what she has been selling is European elitism. And it hasn't been very diverse. And, uh, you know, infamously, there was, I think, only one... I mean, Beyonce refused to pose for the cover unless she could have a black photographer. And that is the only time there's ever been a black photographer... Um, you know, working for Vogue on, for, to shoot the cover. I mean, even Simone Biles, who's on Vogue's cover right now, was shot by Annie Leibovitz. Um, and so, you know, so there's a bit of a, a blind spot on race. Uh, and it was all about sucking up to the fancy European fashion houses. Um, and a lot of employees of color inside the uh, uh, operation have reported that they feel they were discriminated against and treated very poorly uh, because of the sort of very white outlook. So um, Anna is kind of in the hot seat and answering for that right now. Wow. What is the what is the vibe like? You've been to the Hamptons, and Dax has never been to the Hamptons. The Hamptons is a whole different world. You take everyone, you take the New York City elite. You know, it's very expensive. But what is the vibe like in the Hamptons, especially in the the celebrity scene? Uh, a lot of buffies, um, a lot of biffs, 
Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like, so, so Buffy is a, a an old school northeastern nickname. If your name is Elizabeth and you come from that kind of like Mayflower family, uh, like Buffy is a nickname. Okay. It's very very old school New York to be called Buffy. Um, and like there are like multi million dollar cars. You will see and like teenage you know children of billionaires will be driving these convertible Bentleys around these tiny little quite charming towns, you know, clutching their Starbucks or whatever. Um, it, it's, you know, the houses are just ridiculous. Uh, everything's expensive. It's a pain to get to uh, on the roads because, because they're clogged with these Bentleys and they're like convertible Rolls Royces. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. I always say that in New York, you can fake it. As, as long as you have a clean shirt, you can go to the party. You're basically equivalent to anyone else. In the Hamptons, you cannot face it. I mean, you either have the, the, the $30 million home and the convertible Bentley, or you're on the bus out there, which is obviously me as a journalist. <laughs> so I, I find the Hamptons harder to penetrate. And, and actually, that's an interesting point. The Hamptons is, is more like L.A. in the sense that the real power takes place, place behind closed doors. And you need to be invited to the house to be in the room where it happens, Whereas, uh, which is my perception of, sort of how L.A. operates often. But in New York, it's it's the parties happen more publicly. To your point about the Met Gala, it's all about people coming together in public spaces, uh, and that's where the power really happens in New York. Do they let their guards down in the Hamptons? You know, when you've been to the social scene, the parties there. Do you feel like people open up a little bit? Is it better for stories? What What are your thoughts on that? I would say after their third rail of cocaine, they let their guard down somewhat. Um, <laughs> so yes. Uh, there's a lot of bad behavior. Get, that gets back to that sense of being behind closed doors and, and in, the, in their mega mansion. I mean, there are there are outrageously bad behavior stories. I mean, I wrote a big story for the Times about this <clears throat> very wealthy art dealing family who are billionaires. They own more Andy Warhols than any other um, uh, gallery in the world. They're private dealers, and there was this incredibly debauched dinner party with um, you know three thousand dollars bottles of wines being, being being drunk by the case. And the wife comes down the next morning and her husband's naked and one of the guests is naked and like he's sort of lying on top of her. And then that, that instituted, uh, and there may have been other naughty things going on too, which I won't say so you don't get sued. But, uh, <laughs> but it, was very, it was very debauched. And this, this, this scene of these naked guests initiated this multi, multi, multi-million dollar divorce in New York City, uh, which got a lot of attention. So, yeah, there are, there are some pretty pretty wild parties in the hand. Wow, I need to get out there. This sounds yeah, we crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I want to know, we, you know, obviously celebs, they pretend, at least what I've realized over the years, is they pretend to the public that they don't like being written about or their photos being taken by paparazzi. But in the, in the reality of it, I know a lot of celebs think that this is how they continue to stay relevant. So I'm curious, has there been any celebs that have kind of either asked you to write about them or have reached out to say thank you every time you've written about them? Kind of as a little like, keep keep doing what you're doing. You know, yeah, it runs the gamut. I mean, I, this is not a huge name, but I think the first time I was out to cover the Oscars as like a baby gossip columnist, like Bai Ling was everywhere. Oh my Bai God, yes. Yeah. She was nonstop. And, so I, I, and she, she was a very beautiful woman, um, you know, a bit lost on me, but she was a gorgeous woman. And I was chatting with her, and she reached. She took my phone out of my hand and put her details into my into my phone. 
and she, like, she wasn't hitting on me. She knew I was a gossip columnist. I was like, wow, <laughs> I guess you really want to be in the gossip columns. Byling so, was, so. was aggressive for a while. Like, I remember us covering her on TMZ for quite some time. She was just one of those people that was out hunting down the cameras at any moment. Well, as you know from TMZ, I mean, often the, 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 the celebrities will tip off the paparazzi yep. as to their whereabouts. So, I mean, when I was had my column, like Courtney Love would call me. I mean, was she in an altered state when she called? Seemed like she might have been. I wouldn't, couldn't say for sure. But she would talk for hours. Like, she'd call out of the blue. And then that was terrible because you – I can remember one three-hour conversation. I was so desperate to go to the bathroom, but I couldn't put the phone down because it's everything out of her mouth was like gold gossip. Yeah. She was talking about how she she and uh, Winona Ryder would go shoplifting and how they would do it. She talked all about her daughter, Frances Bean. She told this hilarious story about how Donatella Versace and Elizabeth Taylor had these huge diamond rings and they would do like sock puppet shows with the diamond rings, like doing voices for the rings, talking to each other. Like everything out of her mouth was like this incredibly funny story. Wow. I, so I'm also curious, like you've worked at a lot of places. So obviously you've been in the newsrooms. You've heard who is the craziest, the biggest celeb that you've heard that's actually called and like wanted coverage. And I don't mean you, but I just mean anyone inside one of these places. Oh, I mean, Cameron Diaz used to get on the phone. That's I mean, at, at, at the height of her fame. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, that's the thing. I'm not, I'm surprised, but then I'm like always not surprised because the biggest stars in the world are always calling these, uh, these fashion, or not fashion, these gossip columnists, these, these publications, because everyone wants coverage at the end of the day. I mean, I think it's changed with social media, uh, and certainly the publications have become less relevant. So uh, I, I think now that a lot of the stars are using their own channels, um, especially for the, for, the, for the sort of bread and butter baby pics and the engagement announcements and the bikini shots, you know, all that stuff that really was, the, was sort of the daily grist of the, of the gossip columns is now being put out by the celebrities themselves. But, you know, journalism is still relevant because they're still narcissistic monsters and they're still lying about themselves. So there's always going to be a role for a third party to call them out um, on their on their you know nonsense. How do you decide, like when you have that conversation with Courtney Love? How do you decide? Oh, like hey, I'm going to write about this. How do you not feel like you're going to go behind their back? And then, like, what's the legality? But how are you able to really do that? Like, where do you make cross? Where do you def where's the line where it's like okay, I'm like I'm friends with them, but I'm fuck it, I'm going to write about them. Uh, well, I'm never friends with them, um, and uh, you know, different people have different approaches. Mine was always—I mean, I, I have been doing this for 20 years. I do not have a single selfie with a celebrity. Like, I've, I've just never it would never occur to me to ask for one. It seems gross for me to, to do that. So I've always been at arm's length. I mean, specifically Courtney, like she was literally calling me as a gossip columnist to talk. So I—I I, I think there was no ethical line there. Um, I, I really used very little of what I just told you because I wasn't sure if she was, shall we say, impaired. And I wasn't sure if I could believe her stories, mm. um, even though I had them on the record. Uh, you know, so uh, that's an issue. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember A.J. Benza. He was a, a gossip columnist for a time. Yeah, we had him on the podcast. Yeah, I love A.J. Like, so he, 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 uh, he wrote a memoir called Fame Ended a Bitch, which uh, is a very amusing read. But it's like the polar opposite of, of, of my memoir. I mean, his his he, he his stories are full of hanging out with celebrities. You know, he was best buddy with Mickey Rourke. You know, he, he sort of like talks about all the models he took to bed, and that was like just not my experience at all. Like, I didn't take any models to bed, uh, and I wasn't friends with any stars. 
Um, and he got in trouble through that because um, he was friendly with John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, and his wife, Carolyn Bessette. And when they got married, that was the biggest story in New York City, um, like by a long shot. Um, and he had the details, but he didn't uh, tell on them because he, he felt that they were friends. And that got him in big trouble at the paper. Um, so that's why, uh, for me, uh, I, I prefer to keep them at arm's length. So interesting. Um, who's like the, uh, we always, we love to ask this question, but who's like the nicest or the coolest celebrity that you've really come across in your time? You know, the big secret is a lot of them are really nice. Um, and you know, like I said, I, I mainly operate at press events, so they're on, um, and I'm not sneaking up on them. But um, Meryl Streep is the warmest person, and when she's talking to you, she has that talent of making you feel like you're the most important person in the world. So you kind of like bathe in her charm when she's talking to you. Um, I, I found that Hugh Grant is really smart and gives really thoughtful answers to questions that he must have been asked a million times before. Uh, and likewise, uh, Kate Winslet is really thoughtful. And, you know, you can't ask. There's a limit to what you can ask them on a red carpet. So uh, they must be bored out of their minds doing that stuff. Um, Jude Law also just manages to stay totally on. And the other thing I would say is that the most professional people are the quote unquote divas. So Beyonce, um, Jennifer Lopez, Madonna, like they're on point. I mean, they're, they are, they're CEOs of themselves and you can get two minutes with them and they're great interviews. And as long as you don't try to, you know, try any gotcha questions or try to catch them out you will get everything you need in two minutes from those women, and I, I just have total respect for that. But is it hard when you're on the red carpet because they're standing next to the publicist, they're standing over, they want their, you know, like they're, how do you define what you're going to ask them so they don't jump in? Uh, <clears throat> red carpet is, is a tough uh, environment for that. And also if you do get something good, like the 23-year-old from Us Weekly who's standing next to you will use it. So it's, it's hard to get anything exclusively. So I, my, my, I, mean, I certainly would do the red carpet because I think that's part of it. Um, but I would try to talk to them with their publicist permission at the parties afterwards. Uh, it, it, when I was representing the Times, like I had, had enough time to do that. Uh, and so I would get my best stuff there. Do you think publicists are becoming outdated? Like just the whole job itself, is it really necessary? Is it because with social media, we're able to get stories. I mean, they can't really stop anything from coming out anymore. Is it becoming an outdated position? I, I would say the publicists are definitely feeling the pinch like we all are. I mean, you know, those of us in media uh, are not doing as well as we used to be doing. Uh, and I think that certainly affects the publicist ecosystem as well. But where the publicists can add value, I think, is that they can provide a strategy, um, which the celebrities aren't smart enough to, to work out themselves. I mean, uh, you know, Oscars campaigning has become a huge industry in the last 20 years. Uh, and Harvey Weinstein was one of the major architects of, of that shift. And the implementers of it were the, were the publicists. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, I think the way a publicist attracts business right now is that she will run your Oscars campaign for you. Uh, and that's a value you can't get anywhere else. Who, who's the most difficult person you've come across? Who's that one person that comes walking down the red carpet? You're like, oh, fuck. I, didn't, like, I am not interested in talking to this person. I know I have to because... It's a big name, but I don't want to. I mean, Liam Neeson always makes me laugh because he's like actively hostile at his own um, film premieres. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like he doesn't pretend that he doesn't want to be there. Uh, I mean, and so I, I've had a few you know awkward moments with him. Um, there are people who just hate talking, like Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Robert De Niro. Like they loathe talking to the press, 
And, you know, actually, I respect that. I mean, that's just their personality. And, like, it's not written in stone anyway. You've got to talk to the press. Uh, and, you know, Leo will, will at least manage to, to be charming at his own film. But um, I learned that you never try to talk to him like at any other event. He's just he's not, not up for it. Who is, uh, you know, you obviously worked in a lot of newsrooms. Is there one celebrity that if you know they're out in New York City, oh, man, I have to run into him because people care the most about him? Uh, well, I think that's, uh, you know, we have a lot of celebrities here in New York City, like, much like you do in L.A. So um, I, I would say uh, probably the gold standard right now are, are, are Meghan and Harry. Um, I think they have an unusual draw uh, power. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I, th- I, I always like the quirky ones. Like about a year ago, Lindsay Lohan moved back to New York City after like a long period of absence. And like that was like, where's Wally? Like everyone wanted to like, you know, be at the party she was at just because she had probably kitsch value, anything else. Mm-hmm. But like, everyone wanted to see Lindsay Lohan. So interesting. And I know you've written about Jeffrey Epstein and that whole situation. Did you ever meet him during his time just so you kind of had a better understanding of who he was? So I had been in the room with him without just knowing he was just some anonymous rich guy, uh, without really knowing he was anyone important. Um, mainly through a film premieres thrown by a publicist called Peggy Siegel, who sort of got embroiled in that whole scandal and, and lost her job, essentially, over it. Uh, but I had a, a, an exclusive interview with, with Epstein lined up um, for just the time he got arrested. Uh, he had uh, engaged with the New York City publicist. The publicist claims that they, he was never paid and never worked for Epstein, but that was just a conversation that they'd had, like a crisis PR cons- consultation. And because Epstein wanted to, to reintegrate with polite society. So I uh, said, sure, I'd love to talk to him because I want to find out what he knows. And at that time, uh, his position was that he had paid his debt to society. He got a very light sentence on minimal charges, which did not represent his crimes at all in Florida, which he served under kind of luxurious circumstances. And so he was using that as saying, look, I I went to jail. I I did my time. And so, you know, welcome me back. And, you know, in New York City, money talks. And, and there are a lot of, bunch of white-collar criminals. I wouldn't say any pedophile rapists, but a bunch of white-collar criminals do their time and they come back. And, they're, and if they're wealthy, honestly, they're welcome back into New York society. So there was kind of a precedent for that thing. Um, and it was only because of the tireless efforts of a Miami Herald journalist called Julie K. Brown, who was like the lone voice in the wilderness saying, this guy was not appropriately charged. His crimes are heinous. You know, he, he had the Florida judicial system in his pocket, which is why he got such a light wrap on the wrist. And you really have to look at what he actually did. Um, it was her work that got the authorities, the FBI, to, to look at the case again and to realize that she was, he was, she was exactly right. And he really had a much bigger case to answer for. Um, so this was going on behind the scenes. Meanwhile, Jeffrey had this whole PR plan where he was going to donate money to child abuse charities. He was going to get an audience with the Pope, um, hopefully. I mean, that was part of the plan. Um, which was sort of conceivable if you donate enough money to, you know, Catholic charities. The Pope does meet people like that. Uh, and so there was this whole forgiveness rollout. And then uh, at the last minute, uh, the FBI swooped uh, and the interview never happened. But, uh, yeah, he, he had every expectation that he was going to be welcome uh, back at the top table in New York City. Wow. How was uh, his girlfriend, Miss Maxwell? How was she? Did you ever come across her? You know, I came across, I, when I was a, uh, a young man living in London in the early 90s, I came across her 
because her father, who uh, was a newspaper magnate, uh, owned the New York Daily News briefly as well, uh, he was involved in all sorts of, he was in over his head in, 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 in the money side and had connections with Russian mobsters and, you know, may or may not have been an asset of Israeli intelligence. And he fell off his yacht, which was named after Gillen, as it happened, the Lady Gillen, um, yeah, under mysterious circumstances. And the coroner ruled it a, a heart attack and a drowning, but, you know, it was very suspicious. And uh, when he died, it was revealed that he had illegally raided his own company's pension funds to keep his business afloat. So all his employees were, were you know, were, were ruined, essentially. And uh, I encountered Ghislaine in those days when she was the daughter and, and the, sort of this young socialite around London. Yeah, I you know, it's so funny. He lived right near my neighborhood in the Upper East Side. I never I, again, I never really didn't come across him until, you know, everything kind of came out. So I never really got to experience. Him. I'm sure I've been in the same room as him. I mean, not one of a, but I've been to a few parties, so I've had to have seen him there. He just didn't know who he was. There are a lot of rich guys in New York City. Yeah, Adam is not one of <laughs> yeah. them, though. I am not I'm government funded. It's uh yeah. So if if we were gonna do a top five biggest stories that Bed Whittacombe ever broke, you, you mentioned the Kim Kardashian sex tape. What else are your other four? Oh god. Uh, uh you know, Nicole Kidman pregnancy, uh we broke the fact that Kate Moss uh was pregnant. I believe our, our line for that was the kid is going to be born with a silver spoon in its nose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we broke that Anna Wintour was having an affair. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. You are, um, when you break a story like that about Anna Wintour, is that like a scary moment? Because like you've said, she's the ice queen. She rules with fear. Is that someone you're like, oh, God, the, the backlash is going to be insane, insane? Uh, you know, I would say that that gets back to my, my note about relishing my outsider status and never being in a position that I'm dependent on anyone else for, for you know, anything and not to get into the favor trading. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, and I think that that, that that approach has consequences. I think you do stay outside the power structures uh, and you do make less money if that's your approach. But it means you don't have to worry about offending Anna Wintour because you're not dependent on her being in her good graces. Yeah. Have you ever had a scary situation because you do so many stories on the elite? You know, you're, you're doing with very wealthy people have a lot of power. Have you had any issues or heard or even feared for yourself that maybe they would put like a private investigator for you or got some threatening email where they were going to try to come after you and try to put out some dirty laundry about you? Uh, I've never been that concerned. Um, I've certainly heard it happening. Uh, but, uh, I mean, again, that's probably more AJ territory. <laughs> I mean, he—he, he, I mean, he—he—he he, he got into actual fistfights uh, when when he did his job. Uh, but it, well, I, I just have a different approach. So, uh, I mean, certainly I have been threatened, but um, uh, mainly by um, lawyers like Marty Singer, <laughs> not 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 with actual physical bodily harm. I want to know. Tell me, tell me more about your book because I know we're we're running out of time. I don't want to to get off this podcast without telling us a little bit more about the book. Cause it's actually doing, I know you kind of downplayed it, but it's doing well, right? Like it's, it's really hard to tell looking at the Amazon numbers, like what it even means. Like I, I'm number one in Australian biographies, which I imagine is not a very competitive. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also number one in pop culture humor. So, you know, that, 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 that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, look, it's full. It's, it's full. It's about how the sausage is made. Um, and, uh, 
I wouldn't say that there are a lot of original stories. You know, there, there are a couple because I was a working daily gossip holder. So when I heard something great, it wasn't like, oh, I've got to save that for my memoirs in 20 years' time. You know, I would put it in the paper the next yep. day. Um, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stories. Uh, and I think if you are – and also I, I do think that pop culture is important. And it's so easy to dismiss. But, you know, gossip culture is popular culture, is mainstream culture. And in a democracy, mainstream culture determines political outcomes. And if you doubt that, look at the guy we have in the White House. So I think there is a direct line between the kind of gossip I did, the kind of gossip TMZ does, and how someone like Donald Trump builds a political power base. So the trashy stuff matters. And it is so easy to, to dismiss. But we ignore the trashy stuff at our peril because it is a big part of our culture. And I talk about it in a serious way. I talk about Paris Hilton as actually a serious cultural figure. And I know that as soon as you say that, you lose 70% of your audience because people are just not prepared to accept her uh, as anything other than this, you know, bimbo. Um, and I'm not saying that she's, you know, a Harvard graduate, but she is so important. And the, the strategies that she implemented in 1999 are what every kid with a TikTok account is doing right now, today. It's all, it all comes from her. Uh, and I do take that seriously. So if that sounds interesting to you, buy my book. I completely agree with you. I think Paris Hilton is fucking brilliant. And like I, I've said that for the last 15 years that I've been doing entertainment news. I think she is one of the smartest people out there. Kim Kardashian would not be where she was if Paris Hilton was not her best friend for those years. I, I really think she she started it all. She really did. So I agree with you. I mean, Donald Trump was already famous in the 80s when Paris was you know, getting born um, through his divorce. So it's, he, he, had, he had some form there. But I would say that he copied the, the, the strategies that Paris implemented. And so did Kim Kardashian. And I would argue that the two most important people in American culture, high and low, are Donald Trump and Kim Kardashian. And they're both in my opinion, disciples of Parasol. That's so funny. What what part of the book are you most proud of? Like when you look back, you're like, I love this section or I love this part. Uh, seriously? <laughs> index. The because yeah, the index. <laughs> Why? Because when you're living your your life day to day, you know you you're not you don't you don't have the big picture. Um, and when I look at the index and all the people, like like 500 of the most famous people in the world and the most interesting people in the world all of whom I was encountering daily and having conversations with, I was kind of like, hey, dude, maybe your life doesn't suck. You know, that's kind of interesting. That, 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 and so I, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm proud that I, I came to New York and I spent 20 years doing this nonsense. I don't pretend it was always the most serious stuff, but uh, I, I, I have been able to meet and form opinions of a lot of fascinating people. Well, dude, Ben, I got to say, I appreciate coming on. It's always interesting talking to guys like you and uh, to hear your stories, to hear the insight. I think our fans, our listeners uh, are really interested in just hearing because we always say on our podcast, we like to reveal the fourth wall of Hollywood and kind of show the industry and show how it works. And in this book, you really do that. So congratulations with the book. Much success and uh, keep crushing it, brother. Well, thank you very much. It's been a real honor to be on your podcast. Uh, and uh, if you have me on again, I'll tell you the real dirt. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, buddy. Where can people find you that. on uh, social media, by the way? Uh, I only tweet at Ben Whittycomb. I don't do the Insta thing. I hate Facebook. You're, I tweet. You're not following Paris Hilton's lead and getting on TikTok? What's going on? Yeah. Actually, I, I enjoy TikTok, although I thank God for the world. Don't 
TikTok myself. But I do TikTok every now and then. But yeah, I, I'm too old for social media. But yeah, buy it, buy it on Amazon. Follow me on at Ben Whitcomb on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, guys. I got to be honest with you, bud. I, uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. And I enjoyed it because, you know, me and you talk privately. We talk on this podcast about our thoughts on the industry and kind of like the inside of the industry. And we talk to a lot of celebrities and people in the news on this podcast, but we don't really, you know, we also try to talk to good people that actually make the news, that write the news. And to hear him talk and hear him say, it just, it's like a, it's reassurance for myself to be like, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you, you believe in. Mm -hmm. I agree with the publicists and the, you know, the gatekeepers to the, the, how, the gossip gets out there how stories get out there i i uh, you know what i liked about him is it's very rare to hear these like gossip columnists that aren't friends with celebs you know i'm saying like it's the anti perez or anti aj benza's viewpoint of how to get news and i like that he's like after all these years he goes i know i'm not getting invited to the party even though my name's on the invitation I am there because someone wants me to write a story. They want press. And I think that is so easy in this industry to start getting like ahead and or start getting like this like ego. inflated head and ego yeah. and feel like, no, they're inviting me because they want me there. They don't fucking want you there, bro. Like they just want a story because the next day they're going to look in the paper and they're going to go, do we invite him again because there's a story in the paper or do we not invite him again? Like that's all it comes down to. And I think being a being real about it is kind of refreshing. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, when he approaches someone like Sarah Jessica Parker, when he approaches her uh, at a party, it's a public place where, listen, I'm, I'm allowed to approach you and I explain to you what I do. I, you know, it's not like I'm sitting there trying to get dirt and become your friend and then kind of rat on you. Like, I tell you right away what I do. I don't approach her when she's in the park with her kids, you know? Like, that's like the safe ground. I approach her at a public professional kind of work event you know sort of the opposite of what i do but you listen i gotta do what i gotta do i gotta eat too <laughs> <laughs> exactly well he was fun uh, i'm glad we had him on i love these gossip people i think uh they're just you know give a different perspective of hollywood we're so used to hearing the celebs version of hollywood it's it's fun to hear the other side of it i mean that and that's essentially what we're doing too you know yeah. uh yes but uh guys thank you for listening make sure you subscribe like uh, the podcast, write a review. Again, we have the easiest contest out there. We should just call it Easy Contest. Easy Contest, uh, Autograph easy, easy Contest. Yeah, Autograph Easy Contest. Write a review, leave a comment, then listen to the next episode and see if we say your name. If we say your name, we send you a autographed celebrity photo. We've sent out numerous names, big names. It's fun, it's cool, and most importantly, easy. So do that. You can follow me at, at Adam Glynn. You can find Dax Holt at, at Dax Holt. And we'll see you guys later. Apartment. Yeah.